Hi, I'm Graham, and welcome back to Brits One Flicks. With me, as always, is our co-host Brian Lomax from Brian Lomax Movie Talk. And this month it is Brian's choice, so I'll let Brian introduce the movie and let him know why we've chosen this one for this month's discussion. Yeah, this is The Nice Guys, uh, which is my favourite film of 2016. So, <laughs> yeah, if uh, if you check out my top ten, which by the time this airs, uh, you will discover yeah that this is my, my number one film of that year. And so, yeah, why not talk about it a little bit more in depth? Uh, I, I love Shane Black, absolutely huge fan of Shane Black, and I love a good buddy cop movie, and this is certainly one of the best. Mm-hmm. And this is the, the first time that we've chosen a movie that's recently been out in the cinemas, usually we, we pick something that's been out a good few years ago. Yeah, I, I think one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this one in particular is because it just didn't make that big of an impact at the box office, which I feel is criminally insane um (laughs) it should have got a lot more kind of Mm -hmm. love shown at the box office but everyone that i know who's seen it seems to seems to really rate it quite highly although the imdb rating for this of 7.4 would would say otherwise i think that's absolutely preposterous to be honest but there you go um, usually we talk about our first experiences with the movie and that but obviously we both saw it last year as it came into the cinema but um, I take it this was on your radar uh, long before it was released. Yeah, basically, it's, I, I didn't know that Shane Black was doing this, but then I saw I saw a trailer. Um, so the first first thing I saw about it was a teaser that came out, and it basically was advertising Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe teaming up for a a cop film, which. I found quite intriguing because I wouldn't have put those two actors together, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, saw the trailer. The trailer, I just thought was absolutely hysterical. Um, instantly realised this was a Shane Black film, very much in the vein of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. So yeah, that's it. Sign me up. I was literally going to you know, stick this on my must-see movies of the year. So yeah. Yeah, pretty much the same. I've always been a fan of Shane Black from back in the, the sort of Lethal Weapon days, or even his turning Predator, <laughs> um, and, and particularly the Long Kiss Goodnight, which you know I, I really like aspects of that. You know, mm. The Last Boy Scout as well, was yeah. great movies. Um, but the one that sort of made me most excited for this was Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, mm. uh, a movie that I, when I saw the trailer for the Nice Guys, I felt that was very much in the same vein as that. You know, the same kind of dual partnership of of downtrodden. Detective cops try to do their best as they, they struggle against the, just basic humanity. You know, they, they don't <laughs> cooperate in this uh, the world well round about them. And the trailer just kind of blew me away. The 70s setting yeah. and the partnership of the two main actors was just unexpected to say the least. You know, Crow and Gosling. Uh, and the trailer just sold it to me. I had to go and see it. I was one of my most anticipated of 2016, so I couldn't wait to see it. So, Brian, you got a a short synopsis for us? Yeah, Okay. So, Holland March, played by Ryan Gosling, is a private investigator who is only too happy to take money from suckers. One such woman has hired him to track down her daughter, a porn star named Misty Mountains, who recently died in a car crash. He knows she's dead, but he takes her money anyway, questioning a girl named Amelia in the process of his investigation. 
When Amelia decides she doesn't want to be questioned, she hires fixer Jackson Healy, played by Russell Crowe, to give Holland a good old-fashioned beating, telling Healy that Holland is stalking her. But when Healy is later visited by two mob goons looking for Amelia, he revisits Holland and asks for his help in tracking her down. When the two men realise there is a link between both Amelia and the dead porn star, they become embroiled in a conspiracy that could reach all the way to the top of the Justice Department. But can Holland stay sober long enough to find the truth, as well as protect his daughter? And can Healy hold his temper well enough not to kill anybody? It's all in a day's work for a couple of nice guys. As always, brain straight to the point, that was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess the first thing we should talk about is this partnership of Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. It, it's, it's genius, but it shouldn't be like your typical go-to partnership in a movie like this. What, what I find surprising is just how much comedy uh, and how good he is at it we, we get from Ryan Gosling because I, I kind of see Ryan Gosling more as a straight man you look at the films that he's done he's, he's always had a bit of charm about him but he's never really been the you know the out and out comedian um, yet in this some of the physical comedy he does and just the pratfalls and the fact that he, he he's quite stupid at times, often actually. In fact, he's just quite an incompetent private eye. Um, and Russell Crowe is is the straight man, so, mm-hmm. and it, and it, it works. It works beautifully. Uh, some of the stuff that Ryan Gosling does, it just has me in stitches. Yeah, hundred percent with you in that one, but. It seems like something that shouldn't be in a modern day movie as well. It's kind of throwback to like the Laurel and Hardy or the Harold Lloyd type of <laughs> comedy. Like when um, Crow comes in and he's in the toilet and he's trying to keep the door open and dropping the gun. <laughs> or when he discovers uh, Shaddock's body in the woods and he's doing that. <laughs> you know, he loses his voice. It's that kind of humour that you don't really see in these kind of movies, but he sells it so well. He's excellent in the role. I, w- I will say, actually, that... Um when I was making notes for this, that that was the one moment where it, it kind of lost me just that for that one instance, that bit when he does lose his voice, when he's like mm-hmm. he's pointing and he's like, you know, <laughs> I, I felt I felt that was slightly over egging it a bit. Um, I, I felt that was asking a little bit too much of me, but literally that that was the only moment when for me the humour felt a bit forced. And all of the points, like you say, that scene with the uh, when he's in the toilet and he drops the fag into his pants, and it's just like it's beautifully orchestrated. And the door, he's trying to keep the door open, it keeps swinging shut. It's just an incompetent buffoon. Mm-hmm. But even the, the two main characters who are, are definitely flawed, but they're both very good at what they do, and it's, it's the kind of coming together that completes it, so it makes a whole person in these two parts. You know, you've got Gosling, who's obviously quite smart, but doesn't have the restraint required for the job that he's in. And then you have Crow, who's almost like a blunt tool, but needs somebody to kind of direct him in the right direction. Yeah, but I mean, I mean in many ways, Crow's character is, is also smarter, because it's, uh, there's a, a really brilliant moment when uh, they get this lead. It's a number, like a serial number. <laughs> and uh, Gosling is like, 
he, he just owns it. He's got like he knows it. He's got it sussed. <clears throat> he knows exactly what the number means, and he, he goes into great detail as to why the number means that. Mm. And they go to the location where the, where his information leads them, and it's been knocked down. And it's like, oh, okay. So yeah, maybe it was the airport, which was the uh, the original place that Crow's character was going to go. But so it's, it's stuff like that where you set this character up as actually he, he, deep down he's smarter than everyone else, and then you you do a rug pull and you, you kind of pull it from under you, and it, actually no, he's, he's he's still pretty dumb. He's not he's smart, but he's not that smart. It's like the alcohol that he constantly drinks has probably dulled his senses a little bit. And then we have this. Eighth third main player in the movie, his daughter who is absolutely fantastic and she's almost like a carer for him mm. making sure that he's doing what he's supposed to do well, She's actually the smartest one in the room Yeah, <laughs> and she's she's the one that grounds both of these men uh, she's the one that, she's the family element and it's, it's that element that Shane Black often brings into his films you think a lethal weapon it's Murtaugh's family that grounds Riggs when Riggs comes into that family you know he he comes into the into it at a time when he feels lost at a time when he's wanting to put a bullet through his brain and it's only by becoming part of that family that he gains stability mm-hmm. um and again last boy scout uh, a film that I'd love to have seen directed by Shane Black because the script is very much in the vein of this and kiss kiss bang bang um, but again, he has the daughter in that. He has this family element, this this one thing that keeps the main character going completely off the rails. Because uh, the Bruce Willis character in that is is yeah, he's he's on his last legs basically. He's run down. He's he's beer soaked. He's not in a particularly good place in his life. But it's the element of the daughter and the relationship there with the family that. Mm-hmm. that grounds him, that kind of gives him a redemptive quality towards the end. And we get that here again, like I say, we, with Russell Crowe's character. We have this moment where he he kills this man in cold blood and he, he gets rid of her in order to do that, but he gets this overwhelming sense of guilt afterwards because of it. Mm-hmm. And it's only because of her, because of her presence, because he sees how she reacts to just this guy dying, someone who moments ago tried to kill her, um, yeah. she, she, you know, she still has this moral centre where actually it, do, it doesn't matter that this guy tried to kill me. It's it's wrong to kill. Full stop. And that gives him this kind of moral backbone, which towards the end of the film comes into play, and it yeah, it brings these two adult characters into a more grounded family sensibility. So mm-hmm. something that I think Shane Black is often concerned with. Yeah, but she's she's definitely the most rounded character. And mm. she's probably the most adult character out of the three of them of, as well. You know, where Gosling um, wants to drink and spend his money and just make money whatever he can, she has to take care of him. She has to drive the car <laughs> to take him places to do his job. You know, she has to... Um, let Russell Crowe know that um, our dad is well liked in the police force, and if anything would happen to him, you know there would be consequences. You know she's kind of looking out for her dad that way as well. She's the adult in this relationship. Yeah, so it shouldn't be. She's acting like his mother. Mhm. But then you have that the side 
sort of story with the house that burnt down. And she goes there, and, and it's quite a sad element as well, the fact that she's going there and trying to relive her past kind of life. It's it's a weight, and it adds so much to the character as well, putting that burden on somebody so young. Mm. Yeah, and, and it's a great performance by the young actress as well. Oh, she's incredible in this, I think. She really holds her own. When you've got you know, an, an Oscar winner, and mm. has Ryan Gosling been nominated? I don't think he has, has he? But um, he's certainly not... If he hasn't, it's coming at some point. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be. Um, but, yeah, two incredible actors, and she more than holds her own with them, so... Mm-hmm. Well, let's have a, a chat about some of the side characters within the story itself. Um, one guy that I, I can't remember seeing anywhere before is the blue-faced man. I thought the guy was excellent in this role. He's really just that, that right kind of off-kilter, kind of crazy, kind of edgy... You know, you know who he reminds me of. Have you ever seen The Big Bang Theory? Yeah. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> I know exactly. He reminds me of that lad, the the Jewish guy who does the really yep. good Bruce Willis impersonation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he 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 proper reminded me of him. And just that whole thing with the, the blue face, and he's got it the rest of the movie. Just... <laughs> <laughs> One of those bon- and the way he acts as well, you know, like he's pissed off because he's just had that dye pack explode in his face, and his first reaction is to throw fish at Russell Crowe. <laughs> of all the things in the room, I'm going to throw these fish at him. Um, but he is decidedly creepy, and you know, whereas Keith David, you have the, the kind of look of somebody that's weathered, who's been doing that bad guy routine for a long period of time, and he knows his role. Yeah. And this young whippersnapper part kind of crazy guy doesn't particularly stand up to the rules that the old guard have yeah he's, he's just like an impetulant child isn't he yeah he, he's a bit power hungry uh, kind of goes to his head well we've got Kim, Kim Bassinger as well as the uh, the mother of this uh, this 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 teenager that's gone missing now she's involved mm. in this porn film she she gets she gets this porn star involved, any, anyway, Misty Mountains, who kind of sets mm-hmm. sets this whole ball rolling. And that opening yeah. scene, when this kid is reading that magazine and then all of a sudden yeah. he's just presented with uh, yeah, Misty Mountains who's crashed through his through his house. Mm-hmm. Um, but Can I just, just say, like, what, what a sombre moment, just when the, the kid covers the Misty Mountains up. Yeah. Definitely. You know, like moments before he was looking at a magazine of, of uh, somebody naked. And mm. Next minute he's like, say, rescuing her dignity almost before the paramedics turn up. Yeah, it almost feels in many ways that he, he's going to... From that moment on, I, I think he would change the way he yeah. he, he looks. Not sexualising yeah, yeah. so much. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, like the, the porn magazines will probably be jettisoned from his life, I think, by that point. Because um, yeah. he's, he's seeing this real person... In front of him, who's who's actually just died. Um, yeah. But it's, it it is. It's a, g- a genuinely touching moment. Um, and for two characters that actually we don't really know them. You know, this is an introductory scene. Um, they don't really say a right lot. Um, so to to get that from those kind of characters is is quite a feat. I think you know, brilliant direction, brilliant writing from Shane Black. Um, but yeah, we so. This death of Misty Mountains that kind of yeah, get, the plot. yeah gets the ball rolling. It turns out she was making this 
porn film for this this girl who wanted to uncover the truth about what her mum was doing and her mum works for the justice department she's kind of the the big cheese there you know she's essentially in charge of the police force um and she wants to uncover this plot that her mum is involved in so we get kim bassinger playing the mum um who on the surface it looks like she she wants to hunt down her daughter because she's worried about her she cares about her um, and because she comes out with this this statement that actually my daughter thinks that I'm in on it, you know, she, she kind of gets that out of the bag straight away. So then you're left with, well, is she in on it? Or would, so, some, would someone who's in on it say that my daughter thinks I'm in on it? Because right away you're drawing attention to it. Um, but yeah, you know, Kim Bassinger gets, what, two scenes in this? She has this... This first scene, yeah, where she's... Uh, but she makes an impact, I think. She makes a mm-hmm. real impact as as probably the main villain of the piece. Well, certainly one of them, anyway. Um, Definitely. She, so she gets this in- introductory scene where she she kind of brings Crow and Gosling in on the, onto the case. And then she gets a final scene towards the end where it, it's basically she's been caught and... Mm-hmm. Uh, the t- the two detectives are basically just, you know, saying their final moments with her. But uh, yeah, I I thought she made a real impact given the short amount of screen time. But talking about the whole mystery of of the movie, it's not until you, or it wasn't until I rewatched it that you start to notice how early on it's layered up within the movie. You know, you've got the scene of Gosling waking up in the bathtub and the TV's on, and it's a a story about the automotive industry, <laughs> which relates to the city grandiose plot of it. and It's really when you're watching it the second time you realise it's integrated right from the start of the movie. The whole thing's there for you to pick up if you manage to follow the breadcrumbs. Mm. And whereas in most buddy cop uh, kind of movies, it's, it's a throwaway bad guy, you know, be a shout at the end. You don't really get that here. Mm. Yeah. But it, it seems like a, a more constructed plot yeah, I, I think because, because again, you do have that family element because this, this woman, this Kim Bassinger character, who is, like, the main, the main bad guy in a way, she's family. She's family of this, this girl that has kind of set the ball rolling. So, again, you know, it's, it's this thing that Shane Black is kind of concerned with family. You've got this real messed-up family in which a mother is trying to kill her own daughter in order to silence her. And then on the other hand, you've got this detective, played by Ryan Gosling, who is a who is a screw up. He's me- he's messed up himself, but he's got a really great relationship with his daughter. He cares for her. He'll do anything to protect her. I suppose I quickly want to talk about probably my favourite character in the film movie, or the the favourite say, scene stealer, and there's a little boy in the bike who <laughs> just happens upon him. <laughs> And this this little guy, this little dude's just absolutely brilliant. He's just the most belligerent kid you've ever seen in your life. Who drops this one line? It's just like, did 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 he just say that? <laughs> I think he I think he did. Talk, asks him if he if he'll pay them to whip his penis out. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Um, but I I also like the the other character who stood there at the time. Who calls himself a projectionalist? 
<laughs> Not a projectionist, but a projectionalist. Um, I just that that seems somebody's somebody famous's son. Is it Kurt Russell's son? Oh, is it right? Yeah, it's, well, I could be wrong there. It's definitely somebody famous's uh, son. Right. Um, <clears throat> do you know what? I'm going to have to check that one out, Brian, because I need to know. Um, but th- that that little kid's just even when he's riding away, and he, the guy shout on him, he turns round as if. It's an inconvenience, no, just what? Jeez, you know, just just actually the most belligerent kid I think I've ever seen in my entire life. It's great. Oh, it's Val Kilmer's son. Oh, right. Oh, makes sense. Makes sense with yeah. the ties to uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang there. Uh huh. Um, and, and when you watch it the next time around, you'll spot it straight away. He's got the same kind of facial features <laughs> uh, once, you, once you know what you're looking for. Um, one of the my favourite scenes in the movie, the best setups, was the 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 party at the porn guy's house. Yeah. Um, just the whole set design and the outfits and the the, the things that they're wearing or not wearing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's absolutely some of the best production standards I've seen in a long while because it really, you know, <laughs> just looks the part. It just looks weird, but you could see it actually being like that, that kind of over the top way. And then you've got this young kid sort of moving around all this. You've got Gosling, who, once he discovers the drink's free, mm-hmm. starts to tank as much of that as he can. And then he does more of his, his shtick as he you know, walks up to people and starts to get all his lines muddled up. And then he's like swimming through the water chasing the mermaid. I mean, just this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like a real big set piece, isn't it? It's not, I mean. It really is. It, 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 you know, it gets to be quite a bit of action towards the end of it, but it, it is a mm-hmm. huge sequence. There's a lot going on, a lot of character stuff, a lot of plot stuff, um, and then, like I say, it turns into a fight scene and then a car chase. But all of that stuff, I think, to handle it, to write it, to, to direct it, to keep it fluid. It's quite a feat, um, but yeah, I love that scene, and it's just tons of humour in it. Um, I love the bit yeah. when uh, Gosling throws himself over the balcony, yeah. <laughs> thinking that there's going to be something obviously on the other side to catch his fall, and he doesn't. He just falls off the house and rolls down the hill. <laughs> it's, it, it, like you said, it's just so funny. Like I, I think the sign of him seeing him swim through the water after the mermaid, <laughs> completely bonkers, and then. To talk it off with him and Crow getting rid of the body by pushing it over a fence. <laughs> <laughs> to be sure somebody's having a garden party, it's just... <laughs> it's just, it goes in, like, in slow motion. I just, I love it, because they toss it, toss it over the hedge, and then the next shot mm. is just this garden party. They're all sat there, and his body just hits the <laughs> table. And it's just hilarious, and it's their reaction when they realise what they've done, and they just leg it. Um, mm. and, and even the scene with the door, she's, she's in watching the... the porno with the adult star yeah and she says something like um, doing anal and stuff and she's like oh don't say that just say you're doing anal yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like she's she's taking on board what her dad is teaching her so that's you know it shows that she's uh, she's willing to learn <laughs> mm. but she's like she's in there just teaching all these uh, supposed adults a thing or two yeah what do you think about this hitman that they're getting it? The, the John Boy, his name is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm sure I've seen that guy's face before. I, I can't. He's place in Magic it. Mike. Right. And I've, he's in the White Collar. Right. I've, I've not seen either of them, but yeah, I love that they call him John Boy because he's got that mole <laughs> like John Boy in there. But there's a, a real uh, 
awesome shootout in the street with him when he's just uh, he pulls the gun from the boot of his car and just goes for it like but he, and he just he tosses that girl right through a window he's got no qualms about yeah. picking up a teenage girl and just nailing her through a window yeah, but he says that to uh, Gosling and Crow. he's walking out to his car and he's like oh, oh that oh that's because um, I, I girl went through the window yeah I threw her <laughs> I threw her through it I thought he pulls out his machine gun yeah but he's a uh, He's very menacing in the movie without seeing too much of him. Yeah, uh, it's quite badass. Yeah, and you get that that scene as well when he's uh, they're at the airport looking for Amelia, and they get up in the lift. They go out. They just hear the screams <laughs> back in the lift and back down. It's not for us. We'll wait. Yeah, I I mean the, 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 I love the teaming between these two. It just works. Um, and there's that scene when. Uh, <laughs> When Crow is he's got he's got him on the floor and he's he's saying give me your arm and he's like no 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 and he's keeping it close to his chest like but it's just yeah it's like Gosling just he's, he's kind of like the child in this relationship mm-hmm. he's just so immature it's unreal but um, what do you think about the backstory that they give for Crow's character I mean there's a point when he's telling. Gosling, <laughs> who falls asleep during it, but he's telling him his like his his biggest kind of backstory moment he, where he takes out this guy in a bar in a, in a cafe. Uh, uh, what is it? Was Crow's character ever a cop? Does it ever allude to that? Uh, no. I don't think it does, to be honest. Because I, you don't really get much of a backstory. You just get this one action that seems mm. to have defined him within the past. I don't know, year, year and a half. Yeah. He's basically just a, a bystander in a cafe, isn't he? This guy pulls a gun out and he just takes it from him and, and nails him. Um, and, and is that how he discovers he's got a talent for violence and yeah. decides to start his own business yeah. because of that? Yeah, I think I think it is, yeah. I suppose you don't really need too much of a backstory because you get who the characters are now. Mm. Um, but you do get a little bit of Wendy Gosling's character as well with the whole his wife dying and his loss of sense of smell. Which almost seems like a joke in one scene when he mentions it. You know, it's not until later on that you realise that that was actually alluding to something as well. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's you look at the movie and it's a kind of mystery: what's going on, what's trying to happen. It's a kind of crime thriller almost, but more than anything, it's a comedy. You're going to rewatch this not for the to find out what the plot is but to catch just how funny everything mm. is how funny Gosling is the, the scenes that you there's so much going on that there's things happening in the background in the foreground that you're missing out on mm. there's just so much because it's definitely got a rewatchable value about it yeah I, d- I definitely think it's about something though as well it has has a lot of weight to it I think besides I, I don't I think it's just I, I think it's the comedy that brings me back but I do like that family element. I do like the redemptive quality of of this of this young girl between these two men. Um, you know, the, the Russell Crowe choosing not to kill this guy at the end because of her. Um, and you know, he says to her, "She's just saved your life." Um, so yeah, uh, I do like that. Uh, but I I would absolutely be up for a sequel to this. And Shane Black has said. He'd love to do a sequel. Um, oh, we can live in hope. We can live in hope. Now, you know, sequels have been made off the back of successful Blu-ray runs and DVD runs. Mm-hmm. So if enough people kind of go out and buy this, which 
I strongly recommend. Uh, yeah, we could get a sequel to it, but I yeah, I'd love one. I'd absolutely love one. So what about the? I mean, you do find out that Crow's character is an alcoholic or has been a recovering alcoholic, which is strange for a guy who's living above a a club. Um, <laughs> and, and and at the end of the movie, he started drinking again. Mm. It's not really. I mean, Gosling is quite happy for that to have a drinking partner almost. <laughs> you kind of worry that he's going to drag him down with him into the doldrums. Like. Uh, but if we did get a sequel, it'd probably start off with these two being bladdered off their faces. But um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe I think that's a sign of Crow's character's new sense of control his new sense of like a measured control um you know being able to make the decision to not kill that guy towards the Mm. end affects other things that he is then able to do in his life so maybe yeah he is able to choose to have a drink without without it leading to another 15 um Mm. you know so yeah maybe again that's that's part of or that's an extension of of what he does at the end there with with the with the hitman mm-hmm. yeah could be it's a good point is there anything about the film that you would criticize is there anything that kind of put you off at all no I, no i think we've said most of it but i think it's a, a movie that i needed to rewatch because when i initially watched it i'm trying to figure out the story and where that's leading to try to tie things together miss out the red herrings and figure out the mystery at the heart when the second watch you realize that that's kind of secondary that's not the most important fact of the movie and that's when you really start to find how rich the movie is mm. with all its characters and its plots and the thematics within it as for negative aspects i don't really see any at all, maybe the the shootout at the end's a little bit messy. Um, I guess a little bit um, almost formulaic. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it's quite funny though as well. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny and, and it's it's required for the cathartic climax of the movie. Yeah, but it feels kind of familiar in the same sense. But it's still got that injection of humour, especially when Gosling jumps over the car. He's counting it out, ready to pop up and shoot, not realising that the car's spinning around. <laughs> Absolutely love that moment. Um, yeah, <laughs> just chasing after this tin, and he he gets this belief into his head that he's indestructible. <laughs> he can't die. It's like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and and there's this woman as well that he kind of fancies. Um, oh man, how can we forget the dream sequence? He falls asleep in the car, yeah. and he sees this bumblebee behind him. Like I gotta say, there's a brief moment there when it was like I, I didn't quite realise he'd fallen asleep, and it's just the moment when uh, Russell Crowe says, "Just take your hands off the wheel, man. These things drive themselves these days." And he does it, and I'm like, "What?" And then all of a sudden, I'm like, "Oh no, he's fallen asleep." And then you see that bumblebee in the back, and it's like, "Yeah, cracking." <laughs> As it's got those surreal elements to it. Look, it's got that story about him. Um... Wonder what happens when you die. Did, does everybody see you, uh, Nixon? <laughs> and then he, he falls off the balcony into the pool, mm. and Nixon's waiting for him. He's like, no, oh, try to get out as quick as he can. <laughs> yeah, a bit, a bit of uh, divine intervention there. I feel um, yeah. there seems to be a few moments like that actually throughout 
Shane Black's work when uh, he uh, makes a, a few stabs or, or whatever at some kind of religious iconography or something. Um, what about yourself? Did you find anything negative about the movie? Well, I mean, for me, the the only thing really that puts me off a, a film like this um, it's, it's, is, like, especially when you're dealing with porn stars and stuff, <laughs> it's, it's just the nudity. I, d- I, don't, but I don't personally need that um, in a film, but, I, you know, I get it. I get why it's there. I get the selling points. Um, but... Uh, but I, with regards to the the film's construction, I can't really, I can't really fault it. It was just, like I say, it's my favourite film of the year. It just, it works on all levels, particularly as a comedy, but also as this family drama. Yeah, and I definitely like to see Shane Black doing more of this kind of stuff, the kiss, kiss, bang, bang, the nice guys, rather than Iron Man three or a Predator remake. Oh well, well, it's not a Predator remake, is it? It's a sequel that he's going to be doing. Ah, yeah. um, and I'm definitely up for that because I was, and am a fan of Iron Man three. You know, it's my favourite Iron Man film. So yeah, uh, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but if I had the choice between whether he was going to spend two years making a massive blockbuster or just knocking out these really really interesting, concise stories mm. that have this amazing rewatchability factor. I'd rather he's stuck in this kind of world doing what he does. Yeah, best. yeah. Uh, like, something that comes out of his own head, completely original, yeah. that he's not he's not tied to any rules that are set by the mm. franchise. Uh, yeah, I, mm. I get that. Yeah, definitely. But I, I've got to say, I'm definitely intrigued to see his version of Predator. I'll check it out, but I, I, uh, given the choice, I'd rather see the nice guys too. Yeah, I I think I would. I think I would as well. I think I think you could draft any any decent decentish director in to do a Predator sequel. I don't think you need Shane Black. I think his services would, like you say, be better served doing Nice Guys too. Although well, maybe make it a step above uh, some of the the recent Predator movies, Predator Two or Predators. Mm. I I like Predators actually. I liked it. Um, yeah, it was, it was okay. Uh, I actually kind of like Predator 2. Yeah, so do I. I saw it fairly <laughs> recently, actually. Uh, I did like it. <laughs> I don't really know what else I can say, because it, it's my favourite film of 2016. I, I just think if you're looking for a real good time, if you want to laugh, if you want to see one of the best pairings of two actors that you wouldn't expect to be paired together then look no further. Um, and if you want to see great acting all round, even from the little supporting roles, this is the place to come. Shane Black is easily one of my favourite writers, uh, fast becoming one of my favourite directors, especially when he's directing his own material, uh, which, which, you know, obviously so far he's already done, but um, he's, he's only done, sorry. Uh, but, yeah. You know, he's not quite reached Aaron Sorkin's level yet uh, in in my book, but he's certainly in the top ten writers in Hollywood at the moment, as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, check it out because, like I say, just not enough people have seen this. Um, it, it's fantastic. If you're a movie lover, not I don't think this film will be for the casual movie audiences. I I don't think it's quite for your Lethal Weapon fans. Um, if if you're just a if you're just a action junkie and you you don't really care about a script all that much, uh, I think it has a bit more intelligence to it. Uh, but 
I think if if you're looking for that, if you're a bit more art housey kind of thing, uh, if you like the cross of sensibilities between art house and Hollywood, then this is definitely the film for you. Uh, cracking stuff. I give it a five out of five. Yeah, I'm exactly the same as well. Five out of five for me. It's it's one of the best of the year. It made it into my top five. I mean, the year list. I think it's tremendous. The pairing is is great of Crow and Gosling. I think Gosling just shows a complete different side of himself in this mm. movie. And like you said, it's been criminally underseen. If you do like any kind of good movies whatsoever, you need to check it out. If you saw it in the cinema and you weren't overly keen on it, give it a rewatch because you may find something more rewarding a second time round in it. But I think more than anything, we should just support movies that are as, as unique and original like this. Mm. Definitely. So, Brian, as this episode's all about your choice, do you want to move on to what the top five is? Yeah, so for this one we decided to do, rather obviously, the top five buddy cop movies. Um, now, there are a lot of buddy cop movies. There are even movies that are not really advertised as buddy cop movies, that when you look into them are actually buddy cop movies. Um, so it was very hard to come up with a list uh, as these things often are. Mm-hmm. I want to give some honourable mentions. <laughs> Cheap. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I'll, just, I'll, just, I'll just list them off. Um, <laughs> uh, right, OK, so some honourable mentions. Two Guns, Bad Boys, the first one, not the second one, because that's part of crap. Uh, Last Boy Scout, which we've already mentioned and I did watch recently. Very good film. Very, very yeah. good film. Uh, Lethal Weapon... Two, which I think is absolutely cracking, possibly even better than the first film. Uh, Black Rain, starring Michael Douglas, uh, a very good kind of culture clash buddy cop mm-hmm. movie, directed by Ridley Scott. Definitely worth checking out if you've not seen that one. In the Heat of the Night, possibly the film that started the buddy cop movie. Uh, this is film starring Rod Steiger and Sidney Poitier, um, and it was all about the racial tensions. You know, you've got this black cop going into a really racist southern town. Mm-hmm. Fantastic film. Only watched it fairly recently, actually, for the first time, but it's absolutely fantastic. Won Best Picture at the Oscars, deservedly so, in the same year that The Graduate, uh, Bonnie and Clyde, um, and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner were up. For for the uh, for the same award, um, and I think it, it I think it deserved the win to be honest, uh, based on the competition. Um, but yeah, I, I, the reason in the heat of the night didn't quite make my top five is because by the time you get to the end of the film, the two cops, the two so called buddies, as it were, if you're looking at the genre. They're not quite buddy enough for my liking. You feel like they've earned a little bit more respect towards each other by the end, Mm -hmm. but they go their separate ways and you don't feel like they would ever need to see each other again. You know, you look at the end of something like Lethal Weapon, you feel like that's it. These guys are now in each other's lives. Um, you you can see them wanting to get together again. Whereas in the heat of the night, I didn't really get that sense by the end of the film. So it just missed out for me. Uh, Rush Hour 2, uh, the best of the Rush Hour films, which <laughs> might not be saying much. <laughs> uh, basically a lethal weapon rip-off. Um, 
Seven, which I, I kind of class as a buddy cop movie, although it's probably the darkest buddy cop movie you're ever going to see. Definitely. Uh, it's not going to fill you with a warm glow inside, and the relationship is pretty shattered by the end of the film due to a certain incident. Uh, and my final one in the honourable mentions, which I will say would be my number one choice on my top five list. But mm-hmm. I, I was a bit torn. When, you, when you're looking at the kind of stipulations for a buddy cop movie, I felt that this, while it has that buddy cop element in a big way, it's more of a crime thriller. Um, and it's L.A. Confidential. Uh, you got yeah. Russell Crowe and Guy Pearce kind of hate each other at the start mm-hmm. of the film. They, you know, they build this relationship, they come together to solve the crime at the end. It is a buddy cop movie, and they are friends by the end. Um, you know, I'm actually thinking, <laughs> I'm actually thinking I should have put it at number one. But no, it's, it's, I think when you think buddy cop movies, I, I don't think, I think that's more of the crime thriller genre than the buddy cop movie. But if we, if we were saying out and out buddy cop movie, that if, if it was an out and out buddy cop movie, then yeah, it'd definitely be my number one choice. Fantastic film. But when we get into the realm of just buddy cop movies, the things that kind of, very, you know, the very definition of them. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang as well. Only just missed out on my list. That was another honourable right. mention. Um, this, this, this top five could have just been Shane Black films, quite frankly. <laughs> um, but I, I felt like I had to rein it in a bit. So at number five, Zootopia. Um, really, really good animated film uh, probably my favourite animated film of 2016 but just a genuinely good buddy cop movie as well, you got these two characters you know who, who kind of butt heads uh, at the start, they're, they're not particularly friendly with each other um, but yeah, their relationship grows over the course of the film and by the end of it you, you kind of want to see them go on to solve other cases uh, yeah, really good buddy cop film uh, but that's my number five. What about you? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I feel woefully underprepared as I scribbled down five <laughs> before we started. But it seems as if you've put a lot more uh, homework into this than I did. Mm. But I'll just jump straight into like the first five that popped into my head. So Schmidt and Jenko from Twenty One Jump Street, right? Yeah. Hull and and Channing Tatum. I th- I thought for a movie that should have failed miserably that turned out to be actually quite good and I threw mm. it down to the fact that these two were excellent together and they really sell the history of these two guys that kind of ignored each other in high school but found that they really do fit together like two peas in a pod mm. so did and you that, did you go for 21 jump street or 22 jump street i went for the series oh, okay <laughs> can we do that yeah. cheating um, all right fair yeah. enough but, uh, but you know i find it I liked them in the first one, I liked them in the second one. If there was going to be more, I'd be more than happy to see them because I like to see these two guys together. And like I said, it shouldn't have worked. It was a remake of a, a TV show and I think it's down to the, the two guys' interactions and charisma that it worked so well. And that's my number five. All right. Uh, yeah, it, it, see, this is what I mean. I didn't even think of the 21 Jump Street films. But yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. That would have made my honourable mentions, without a doubt. Uh, I loved their relationship in that. Um my number four is Hot Fuzz. Uh, yeah, we, you know, we talked about this recently when we did our Edgar Wright kind of show. We did uh, at, at World's End. 
definitely one of the best buddy cop movies and it sends up the buddy cop movie it's very knowingly doing it you know it it recognises what it is and it tries to be that as well and it does it absolutely brilliantly and there's a moment in there where they they do the whole bad boys to send up when he shoots his gun in the air and it's just yeah I love it absolutely outstanding one of the best British films as well Mm. And it's not so much a sort of nudge, nudge, wink, wink, as it grabs you, shut collars, yeah. and gives you a shake. You know, this, yeah. is, this is exactly what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, my number four on the list is Agent K and Agent J from Men in Black. Okay. The first one. The first one, yeah. Yep. Not, um, not the second one. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. And the, the reason I picked it is because it's an unusual partnership again. You've got the stoic. Tommy Lee Jones and you've got the, the young cooler and cool Will Smith and the combination together shouldn't really have worked in a science fiction action comedy but because of the, the, the two the interactions they do work the fact that Tommy Lee Jones is so deadpan the fact that uh, Will Smith <laughs> is just well, kind of Will Smith yeah, yeah. About it. I just, it's a great partnership and it was one that had me really really excited for any other further sequels that would come out until part two came out uh, yeah, yeah. Part three was okay though. Part three was watchable. It was entertaining enough. Kind of a three star film, but yeah, certainly an improvement on the second one. That second one yes. was just garbage. Yeah, but I mean, the first one was even watching it now is one of the best movies I can think of. It's really enjoyable just watching these characters and and what they're discovering is fantastic. I don't know how they blew it mm. as, as much as they did with that second yeah. one, but. It is a complete turd. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> turd. I love how you say turd. <laughs> complete turd. <laughs> God, I hope I don't sound like that. <laughs> no, I, I do a terrible Scottish accent, so don't worry about it. Um, <coughs> yeah, uh, okay. Uh, my number three is Lethal Weapon, the first film. Uh, I... I'm kind of torn because, for me, Lethal Weapon 2 is almost a better film, I think, in many ways. Uh, but I think Diplomatic immunity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, think, I just think because Lethal Weapon kind of started that trend um, of, the, of the modern uh, buddy cop movie, you know, arguably 48 Hours did, uh, arguably In the Heat of the Night did, but I, I think most people, when they think of a buddy cop movie... They think a lethal weapon. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to go with number three. Because I love the relationship there between Riggs and Murtaugh. You've got this mm-hmm. family guy who's very well-balanced, very mentally stable. Uh, he's got a lo- you know loving family. Um, and then you've got this tornado, this crazy guy who wants to put a bullet through his own head most nights and doesn't really care whether he lives or dies and who he takes with him. You, you pair mm-hmm. them together... And and it yeah it's 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 dynamite really great film, um, but yeah the series in general is just pretty good I'd say so yeah yeah definitely um, okay my number three is Jack Coates and Reggie Hammond from Forty Eight Hours right <laughs> um, which is a movie I've seen a lot and I think Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy together was another fantastic pairing. And Eddie Murphy's probably his height of his stardom, or or, or the height of his comedic powers, or, or his star power, whatever it was when he was starting out. And it's not the family friendly Eddie Murphy that you kind of know. He's more coarse. He's more to the point. And I, I really like 
the no nonsense Nick Nolte character, a Jack Coates, and and the the, the, the sort of wise cracking Reggie Hammond to just he's happy to be out of jail for a little while and he wants to enjoy his time and he's got this sort of bullish boorish man who just tries to bring him down at every possibility <laughs> wants him to help stop a crime I mean the guy's just trying to have a laugh but um, I think it's great it's got some great one liners it's got some, a really good partnership and at the end of it you kind of get with most good buddy comedies they have that mutual respect from each other um, and they save the day mm. but you know like I think the key to most buddy comedies is a complete mismatch pairing yeah, of the the two leads, and then this has it in abundance. Yeah, I, I think I think that's mainly what defines it. Obviously, one of them's got to at least work in some form of law enforcement, mm-hmm. and then that they have to be opposites that maybe don't get on quite well at the start, but by the end, reach a common ground where they can respect each other. I think for me, that's what defines a buddy cop movie. Absolutely. Um, that being said, <laughs> maybe a controversial choice. Um, not because it isn't a great movie. I think everybody pretty pretty much acknowledges it's a great movie. But I went with Die Hard for my number two, simply because of the relationship between uh, John McClane and Al, the 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 plot basically the beat cop. Um, because this is one of my favourite relationships in movies between two cops, because these guys don't actually meet each other until the end of the film, yet they build up this relationship through phone conversations. Um, And it's, yeah, like I say, they're, they're not necessarily opposing forces at the beginning of the film. You know, they, they kind of learn to respect each other pretty early on in their relationship. But mm-hmm. it is it is the core of the film. It's the heart of the film. Um, it's, it's the thing that kind of really makes you buy into these characters. It has some of the, the bigger character moments in the film that kind of sell it to you, that give it something more than just bang, bang, shoot them up, you know, explosions. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just... You know, they're cops, they become buddies. It's a buddy <laughs> cop movie. <laughs> Maybe not in the conventional sense, but yeah, um, Die Hard is my number two. Okay. Uh, my number two is Riggs and Murtaugh from the Lethal Weapon series. I, I just picked, I picked the series because I really do feel that the characters evolve and develop throughout the four movies in such an organic way. You know, you have Riggs, who's so despondent in the first one, Murtaugh, who's the family man. And it's kind of like he takes Riggs under his wing, kind of straightens him out a little bit. And, you know, at the end of the series, he's now a family man much like Murtaugh. And I think it's just these two are just perfect together. And, and you see them go through so much. You see them grow, you see them evolve, you see them become friends and be integrated into one another's families. And I think it is a great great partnership and although you're taking the series as a whole or I am you really see the way that they're opposites at the start of the first movie mm. you know you've got a sort of war veteran despondent suicidal man and then you've got the, the family man who's close to retirement that just wants to make sure that everything's you know safe and sound yeah. and he's put with this say, almost suicidal partner yeah, yeah. I think it's a great partnership I think the two people really make it work and it's a shame they had to stop after four because I would quite happily have seen more. 
Yeah, I, have you seen any of the trailer material for, or, or any anything from the TV series that they've done? Never heard of it, Brian. Oh, man. Look it up on IMDb. There's a trailer. Mm-hmm. They've done a TV series starring Marlon Wayans Jr., or one of, one of the Wayans people, but right. it looks awful. Just awful. Awful! It does not look like Lethal Weapon at all. Do, do you want to hear my idea for Lethal Weapon Five? God, <laughs> you have Riggs who's coming to the end of his cop career, and he gets paired up with a young Gulf War veteran who's kind of suicidal, <laughs> and he's going off and say bitching to Murtaugh about how he's so close to retirement, and he's been say, shackled with this young suicidal kid. <laughs> And pretty much just rehash the first one, but I just think it'd be. I, I, you know, I just want to see more, mm, and yeah. that's like when we can think of like refreshing it type of thing. I think the the important thing is uh, if you're gonna have Riggs and Murtaugh, they have to be played by Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. Uh, yes, I, I think you. I just don't think you can cast them with that with other actors. Uh, but no, that's that's just me. But the TV series, from what I've seen of it, looks awful. I could be wrong. But based on what I've seen, it looks awful. Uh, but anyway, my number one choice... Now, I'm just wondering if you've picked the same as me here, Brian. <laughs> my number one choice is the film we've reviewed tonight. It's not The Nice ah. Guys. Yeah. Um, just because, I, like I say, my favourite film of the year, absolutely blown away by it. I'm a huge Shane Black fan. Um, if... One of his films was definitely going to be number one on this list. It had to be. Um, I was I was torn between Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and this, but the only thing that kind of tipped the balance in favour of uh, the Nice Guys is that the Nice Guys has a plot that you can genuinely follow, whereas Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was one of them films you had to watch it a few times before you could kind of realised exactly what has gone down. Um, but, yeah, so it's, it's a bit more of a coherent plot. But the two films are, are practically inseparable. I mean, they're practically the same film, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, for me, Nice Guys just kind of tipped that balance. OK, so I, I did not pick that. OK. Thought, um, when you said buddy comedy there were certain movies that jumped into my head and there's one pairing that I really like and it's probably a bit unconventional now I think about it um, and I it's John McClane and Die Hard again oh, but, this yeah. time, but this time it's yeah. Die Hard with a Vengeance yeah, yeah. and it's uh, Zeus Carver yeah. who's played by Samuel L. Jackson yeah um, I, I like the Die Hard series, and if you ask me, one's always going to be the best, but after that, part three is a tremendous movie. But these, the pairing of these two, and it was Samuel L. Jackson just after he'd kind of hit it big with Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And they put him in this movie, and they literally despise each other <laughs> throughout most of the movie, and they're mm. constantly bickering. Having It's almost like a, a an old married couple, the way they're, they're, they're fighting between each other. Mm-hmm. Um and even at the start, when, when Zeus has to save McLean from a, a, a group of people who aren't taking his sign that he's wearing too nicely. <laughs> and, you know, it just they, they get 
drawn into this thing where they can't get away from and they're constantly arguing, they're constantly bickering and at the end they save the day and what more could you want and it's such a great action movie, it's directed by John McTiernan who did the first Die Hard I I, I think the first hour of Die Hard with a Vengeance is possibly a better film than the first Die Hard um, I just I don't think the second hour is quite as strong, and for me it's that 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 kind of keeps the first Die Hard film on top. But certainly that first hour is is faultless, um, really good stuff. Uh, but yeah, I I was this close, this close just to, uh, to to putting that in my top five rather than that first Die Hard film. Um, I, I know a lot of people will be really puzzled by my choice to put that first one in, because it's... No, I can see it. Mm, but it's... Uh, but, I mean, it's just like when you think of buddy cop movies, you, you usually kind of go off the premise that they're at each other's throats to start with, and then they kind of grow in respect for each other. And that isn't the case with the first Die Hard film. Um, but, yeah. you know, I just, I just really love that relationship between those two two officers um, that you know they're buddies and they're cops mm-hmm. so yeah but there was lots to choose from this was a, a tough one yeah definitely okay so we're going to move on to what we watched recently yeah will we uh, get the big one out of the way uh, Rogue One a Star Wars story I, I think we will yeah I mean I, I've yet to review this on my channel or at least mm-hmm. uh, at the time of recording this I, I am anyway um but yeah, I I liked it. Um, liked it a lot, but not quite as much as most people. It seems. Uh, you know, I first first let me tell you what I give it. I give it a four star rating. Okay, I didn't I didn't think it was as good as the Force Awakens. I did, I didn't think it was as fun as The Force Awakens. And I'm not one of these people who thinks that in order to be better, a film has to be more fun, because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm i a DC guy more than I am a Marvel guy, and it annoys me when people criticise something like Batman v Superman, because it's not fun enough. Um, it's like, grow up. Uh, but I felt like the film was trying to put those moments of fun into it, and when it did... They didn't hit home for me. Now, we have this new droid. I can't remember the name of the droid. K2SO, I think. Yeah, that's that's it. Something like that. Um, I really felt the humour that they were trying to bring to it with this droid. Uh It was just fast. And I didn't didn't find any of the jokes they made with this this droid funny. Um, Now, I don't know if I was just in the wrong mood, but... It just seems to me like because Star Wars is now with Disney, they're oh, pardon me, they're gonna follow this Disney trait of sticking the little sidekick character in there that adds levity and humour to the situation, you know? Um you, you they do that in all the Disney films, you know. Uh they always have the the little sidekick characters or whatever. Um, and I, I know that that's not just a Disney thing. You know, we, we had, right in the original Star Wars trilogy, we had R2-D2 and C-3PO. That was there from the start. But just because it was there then doesn't mean you have to put it in every single film. So now when you have this droid, 
it, I don't know, the humour for it for me just felt a little bit too forced. It didn't quite work. Um, also, I'm not that keen on the actor who plays... Um, Cassian? Yeah, I think so. Is that is that the guy? Uh, the Han Solo-esque character. Yeah, very poor, poor man, Han Solo, i got to say. Um... I, I do not find him charismatic at all. Uh, now, the only thing that I can remember seeing him in... I know I've seen him in other stuff, but the only thing I remember seeing him in before this, and I shudder to say this, is Dirty, Dirty Dancing, Dancing 2. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, I just thought, in that film, you know, I, I mean, the film was bad man it doesn't matter who they would have got to to play that role in that film it would have been bad anyway but he had zero charisma you know they, they wanted him to be the new patrick swayze you're off your rocker if if you're casting that guy to try and get the same kind of charisma that patrick swayze had and the same here i just i find him a little bit kind of vacuous when when it comes to the charisma stakes uh i I don't think he's a terrible actor i think you know dirty dancing 2 was just a bad film plain and simple so i I can't really blame him for that but i think he's adequate in rogue one he he does the job you know um but i i thought they could have cast better myself with that uh i liked what's his face ben mendelson but yeah. but I kind of also felt that maybe he was unnecessary and that they could have gone with a, a, an already established character. I don't know, uh, maybe not. Um, but I liked him anyways. He was a decent villain. Ben, ben Mendelsohn always is. I like him as an actor. Um, and the, the, the final thing in it that I didn't like, um, although I, I've, I've heard some people saying that it's really great, uh, but... It's the CGI Peter Cushing. Uh, I hated it. I just if now if that had, if that CGI had been used in a film like say Beowulf, you know, if you put that CGI Peter Cushing in a film like Beowulf or A Christmas Carol or Polar Express, I'd be looking at it thinking, man, those special effects are amazing. But the moment you put that next to an actual human being and you ask me to buy that this is two actual human beings speaking with each other, then you are asking too much of me because it just looks weird. It looks far too wrong. Just wrong. (laughs) Um, It didn't work for me. And I also question the... The moral stance, I guess, the moral position of bringing an actor back to the screen who can no longer give you their permission to do so. You know, mm. this, this is done without Peter Cushing's consent, uh, and he, even if the family gave consent, I don't believe I don't believe it's theirs to give. You know, this 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 man. You know he. He might not have chosen to do this film. If he was still alive today, he may have read the script and thought, no, sorry, not for me. Don't see the point in it. But So this whole idea of bringing back famous actors in CGI form to to do something that you can't do with them because they're dead, 
I, I question the validity of it. I'd question the moral reasons behind it, or, or stance behind it, I guess. Uh, yeah, for me, it didn't work for both those reasons. That being said, you know, it does sound like I'm, I'm really harsh on the film. I gave it a four out of five. It was still incredibly enjoyable. It still has some characters in there that I did like. Donnie Yen's character, for example. Uh, I liked the main character, this woman, uh, the, 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 main, the main girl, yeah, I like her. Um, and, you know, I, I also like Forrest Whitaker. I think it's a shame that he, he yeah. got taken out so early as, as he did. Uh, but Darth Vader gets, quite, quite frankly, his most badass moment of the entire <laughs> series. Um, now, somebody did say recently, I can't, I can't remember where I'd seen it, but when they said it, I thought, oh, man, yes, of course, that would have been absolutely better. Um, that scene when Darth Vader's carving everyone up down that corridor, that last person mm -hmm. should have been one of those two main characters. So it should have been her or it should have been him. But instead we have them two hugging on a beach at the end. Um that one of those characters should have been the one that handed that that drive over through the door before they got taken out by Darth Vader because it, it would have meant more, I think. It's still badass because you're seeing Darth Vader just go all Darth Vader-y, but to have had our main character be the last person that gets taken out by him before she hands over that disc, I think would have just had so much more impact, so much more weight. I mean, not her, because obviously she's got to have her final showdown with Ben Mendelsohn, because Mendelsohn is really her main villain, so to speak. Um, but him, yeah, they should have had him. So rather than have him come to save her at the end and you know like help her out, he should have been up on the ship, and he should have got he should have got done over by Darth Vader. Uh, that's pers I personally think that would have been a better way to go with it. But yeah, it's still a highly entertaining Star Wars film. Certainly better than any of the prequels, um, and arguably on a par with anything from the original trilogy. Um, but yeah, there you go. What about you? <laughs> I didn't really follow too much of the making of this, uh, unlike The Force Awakens where you're watching every trailer everything that came out. I happened to see the trailer once in the cinemas. And when I saw it once, I thought, this looks kind of downbeat, kind of dour, uncolourful, drab, not the usual Star Wars thing. But, you know, I knew I was going to go and see it anyway because it's Star Wars, it's a big movie, I'm going to go and check it out. <laughs> I loved the hell out of it. I loved every single thing about it. Um, it blew me away. I just felt it was absolutely perfect. I liked all the characters. And when you say about the ending, I liked the fact that it had that sombre ending where everybody dies, they just kind of accept their fate, they've gave their lives for the greater good. I, I, I liked that. I liked the fact that they just they were resigned. They had that one moment of just, you know, this is what it's going to be, I'm with somebody. That's all that matters. We've done all we can to help the resistance. I liked all the characters, I liked the action, I thought it was really fun. The robot, <laughs> I really liked the robot, I thought everything he said was hilarious. Um, I would have liked to have seen more of some of the characters in it, but I understand why they had to uh, be ejected from the storyline, it was starting to build up. Um, I thought Ben Mendelsohn was fantastic, he's one of my favourite actors, I really like him, just mm. about everything I see him in. Yeah, me too. 
um, and, and I thought he was excellent and, and I liked that the sort of opening scene on that weird weirdly uncolourful drab planet with uh, Mads Mikkelsen mm. um, when Jin's just a, a kid it, it felt almost kind of samurai-esque you know like yeah, those, yeah uh, definitely weird Japanese movies you know, I, I thought it was going to get to a lightsaber fight or something there, it didn't, but it felt as if it had that kind of standoff thing about it. The only thing, if I had anything detractions to say is I thought I was going to get lost at the start because it literally shows you about 12 different planets with names and all mm. these characters that were populating them and I was like, Danny, you remember this? Yeah. Yeah, what's going on? But I came out of the movie absolutely loving it and feeling as if it's not a standalone Star Wars movie. It's pretty much episode three point five. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I said on Facebook to people. Yeah, and it, as for the CGI um, characters, when um, you first see Peter Cushing and it's his back and his kind of reflection in the mirror. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And then it it turns round and it, you're like, holy crap, they're they're going for it. They're actually just putting a full CGI character in. <laughs> it, it, it has that uncanny valley about it because you know that's not a real person. Yeah. But as the movie grew on, I was just like, look, yeah. I don't, I don't. <laughs> and I, and I'm, re- I'm reading all these things about people just saying problems with the movie, points that would tore it down. I just don't care. I had a lot of fun mm. with the movie. I liked it more than I thought I was going to, do, going to like it. And to such an extent where I would say I prefer this to The Force Awakens yeah <laughs> that look of disappointment in your face right yeah no I just no uh, Force <laughs> Awakens was best film of the year material for me uh, I mean I, I put it at my number one when I did my top ten um, <clears throat> I mean it, it was that and Steve Jobs that were kind of joint first really but yeah this this doesn't even make my top ten Sorry to say. Yeah, it made it in my top ten. I think it was number six. It made it into my list. Right. Like I say, I liked it, and I will buy this on Blu-ray, and I'll watch it repeatedly. I just... You know, I, I, when, it, when it first came out, there was, there was a lot of hype, so many people... Because it took me ages to go and see this. I didn't get to see... Because, because of illness and because of some things that were going on in, at home, I couldn't get out to go and see it. Um mm-hmm. So it'd been out for well over a week by the time I got to see it. And by that point, everyone was just like, it's the best Star Wars movie ever! Um, you know, and, and a good friend of mine, Lee, from uh, Drum Dums, he says it's his favourite film of the year. You know, he was really bigging it up. So I'm like, oh, all right, Brian, this, this, this must be good. Um, so when I went and I watched it, I was just like, mm, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good film, very good film, but it, it ain't. It ain't on the same level as Force Awakens for me, not at all. Um, just, yeah, when I compare some of the really great scenes in Force Awakens, like that Millennium Falcon flight scene, um, the, the lightsaber battle at the end, um, it's probably one of the best lightsaber battles. It, well, it probably is the best lightsaber battle in the entire franchise, to be honest. Um, yeah, it's, it, yeah, it had, had a bit more of a personal story for me, Force Awakens. I felt a bit more tied to the characters. I, I, I felt, yeah, I felt the, the, the main Ray. I thought Ray was, was much more relatable, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So yeah, uh, no, I mean, maybe, like, maybe like, on a maybe on a rewatch you might like it a little bit better. Yeah, um, maybe, maybe. But um, it's, it, like I say, it's all down to personal taste. What you think? I, I, yeah. For you, everybody said it was amazing before you went and saw it. Before I went and saw it, and I I didn't see it until about four or five days after it was out. And everybody I heard was like, oh, it's, it's not good. Oh, <laughs> it's got <right>. problems. <laughs> so I went from that and seeing one trailer and going like, I'm, I'm really liking this. Yeah. But there we go. But yeah, I gave it five out of five. Okay. Um, right, so anything else? Do you want to jump on to whatever else you've watched, Brian? Yeah, uh, I watched American Psycho just the other night, actually. Right. Um mm-hmm. I... I not seen this film since it originally came out on video, <laughs> DVD. Uh, yeah, back back when they still had video in my day. Um, I have a video to to return. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> precisely. Uh, I just need to go and return some videos. <laughs> um, but yeah, absolutely cracking film. Uh, not for everyone. Got to be mm-hmm. said, uh, and there are some moments in there that are a bit too explicit for my liking, but I get it. I get what they're doing there, and yeah, I mean, it's one of those films that you can debate. You know, I get, I get. We get to the end. I, I watched it with two friends, and we were debating the ending. You know, what what's really going on there in the ending? I think I think we just came to the conclusion that it's all in his head, and that he hasn't yeah. actually killed anyone. Um, yeah, that's what I take from it. Yeah, and he's just, he's so psychotic that he, he he's just like a ball of uh, rage that could blow at any moment. Um, and he, does, he doesn't know what is reality and what isn't. He doesn't know how to separate fact from fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, it just, again, again, it's like a social commentary on this yuppie cult- culture of the 80s, you know, this capitalism and, you know, money, money, money and all that, the Wall Street kind of kind of culture and what, what it takes to be that kind of person, to, to be a Wall Street guy, you know, this... I mean, I've, not, I've still not seen Wolf of Wall Street, but I imagine that American Psycho has much in common with it and uh, it's quite amusing given the fact that Leonardo DiCaprio was actually up for the role in American Psycho. Uh, Christian Bale was kind of <laughs> kind of kicked off the project when Leonardo DiCaprio showed interest and then when DiCaprio decided actually not for him it went back to Christian Bale but Bale just he he doggedly pursued this role he he went after this role like like he'd never been after anything in his life um and it shows, you know, he owns it. This is a, an amazing performance, and it's a comedy as well. You know, we, we sat there and we watched this and we laughed quite a lot. We laughed quite hard during this. Um, and it's all down to the way that Bale plays it. He plays it for, for laughs in many ways. I mean, admittedly, it's still serious. There's still a lot mm-hmm. of depth to what's going on, but, yeah, there's some really funny stuff in it as well. But it's all because... He's socially inept. He is a psychopath. He doesn't know how to relate to people. So when he starts talking to people, in, instead of really talking with them, instead of really having a proper conversation with them, he just recites reviews, like, like uh, 
music reviews. So you know he'll be he'll be talking to someone about the latest Phil Collins album or whatever, and really he's just reciting a review that he's clearly read somewhere. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a bizarre film. It's also interesting that it's directed by a woman. Um, at least I find it interesting, just given the level of violence towards women in the film. Um, yeah, it's, it's it is a cracking film, but like I say, definitely not for everyone. Um, if you've got a weak constitution, I wouldn't watch American Psycho, but I'd give it a four out of five. It's it's one of these movies as well that I, I've watched it several times, and I can watch it and love it and see it for all its intricacies, and then I can watch it a couple months later and hate it and find mm. it tedious and it. But I think it really depends on whatever mood I'm in what I get out of the movie and you know it really can go from like a five star to a two star or something like that depending on whatever mood I'm in one I want to talk about I just watched today uh, one of the worst movies of the year uh, or so I've been told uh, in various reviewers and that was Pride and Prejudice and Zombies yeah within within 25 minutes of watching this I was like I'm really enjoying this this is yeah. really good what does it turn bad? Does something happen that makes it awful or or something? But I kept watching the movie and I kept I liked the characters, I liked the action, I liked the story, I just I liked everything about it. I thought the production was really well set as well. It looked really good and polished. It, and I don't know where all this venom has come from. Can I ask, Did have you seen the BBC Pride and Prejudice series and did you like it if you did? I haven't seen it. Okay, right. Well, well, I have. Um, it, my my wife really likes it. Uh, we watched it together um, when we first got married, and I do like it. I genuinely like it. I think if you like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, you should definitely check it out. Um, the awful one they did with Keira Knightley is just is is not yeah not worth watching. But that 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 BBC TV series they did. It's fantastic. I get, I get the hype for it. I get why people like it. But this film, to me, it it just it felt like that TV series, but tweaked, you know, yeah. with zombies. It literally mm-hmm. feels. I, I I feel like if Jane Austen were alive today and she saw it, she would be like, "Bravo, bravo," because <laughs> it doesn't change the story. Much. It it feels like this still feels Jane Austen. It still feels like the story Jane Austen originally told. Mm-hmm. So the way they've worked zombies into it, as as if it's just nothing. It, it it's quite quite a skill, I think. So, but yeah, I liked the film. I liked it a lot. Um, there's one moment in it that um, I mean, I've only seen it once. It's been a while now since I saw it, but. It's a moment when one of the sisters is, I think she's riding home or something, and she gets caught out yep. in the and open. To meet her sitter. Yeah, and there's there's a zombie. She ends up getting, um, yeah, but it just gets dropped. I think it's, I think it fades out to say, give you a question mark as to what happened there, because the next time we see her, we know that she's, um, got a fever of some sort and it's could it be mm-hmm. trapped in the cold it's caused it could it she have been bitten i think it's supposed to add a bit of mystery about what actually right. happened there well i just i, I just i felt that i felt that scene and that transition wasn't mm-hmm. handled in the best way because it caused confusion more than it 
kind of did raise questions. Um, yeah, valuable questions. Really good, and, I, and I'm trying to think why it got such bad reviews at the time. I went back and read some of them, and I'm like, this, mm. this isn't the movie I, I watched. Yeah. Um, and I think the only thing I can reason with is it's a hangover from Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Yeah. Because yeah. I think after the fact, folk realised that was pretty crap. <laughs> they mm. gave it kind of like pass marks and they're like, oh, this is another one of that ilk. We're not going to get caught out twice. You know, fill me once. Shame on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, and I, and I think that's why it's been bypassed. But it came on to UK Netflix. So I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to give it a shot. If it's crap, I'll turn it off. One of the best decisions I've made. Yeah, I'm gonna. No, I'll, I'll watch it again. Yeah, I will. I I, I think once once it goes down to a, a decent price, uh, like I wouldn't buy it at full price, but if it's on nope. Blu-ray for about five pound, maybe less, then yeah, I'd, I'd consider it. You know, mm. um, I thought it was all right. I thought it was good. Definitely underrated. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, another one I saw recently was Welcome to the Punch, which stars yeah. Mark Strong and James McAvoy. Uh, British film. Kind of wants to be a, a British heat, I think. Um, and on many levels, kind of succeeds. It's a, it's a pretty decent, well-paced, tightly edited little British action thriller, you know, crime thriller. Uh, I like James McAvoy, period. I like Mark Strong, period. It doesn't matter what they've done. Even in Grimsby, you know, Mark, Mark Strong made that film watchable, but... It's still certainly a terrible film. Um, but, yeah, these, these two together, I think it's well-directed. I'd like to see an extended cut of it because I, I, I watched, like, the making of afterwards and the director was talking about all these scenes that they'd shot and this backstory with Mark Strong's character that I think would flesh it out quite considerably. I think it would be a bit more epic um with 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 all that stuff in there but as far as it goes you know the 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 film that we get the film that is there pretty decent i'd give it a three and a half out of five um if you like a a decent crime thriller uh if you like a film about an obsessed cop relentlessly trying to hunt down some guy then uh yeah check it out it's pretty decent i haven't seen that one since uh, the cinema and i remember liking it but not loving it mm. not enough to go back and revisit it at any point but right. I do remember a, a cool scene where some sort of uh, team is trying to assault Mark Strong's house near the start yeah yeah. yeah I, remember, I mean it's next to I think some of the action was pretty good and it was really well shot I remember mm. that um, yeah I want to quickly touch upon Passengers Have you I, I was just looking at it I was thinking that's going to be my next film to talk about um, Passengers or as I like to call it Space Rape <laughs> um, you know, and <laughs> in, in space, no one can hear you say no. Mm. Uh, it's, it, this movie, this movie, wow! The first warning signs was the fact that I was seeing this posters and trailer constantly for about three, four months before the movie came out. It was getting hammered over the head. Um, but still, I, I thought I'd give it a chance. I like the the actors that are in it. I'd, I'd go and see it. This thing was. Sheer tedium. Really? With, uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, the, the opening I liked ha- it. <laughs> oh, God. The opening half hour reminded me of the TV show Last Man on Earth, only without the jokes. Mm. Um, and, and Chris Pratt, I, I want to see him 
be that kind of not cool but thinks he's cool kind of guy wisecracking I don't think he really had the chops to carry off the city moments he had to at the start mm. Jennifer Lawrence is pretty much showing up for a paycheck the plot was just boring and, and ludicrous and you can even see the, the screenwriter getting into trouble like oh crap I've ripped myself into a corner how do I get out of it I know I'll make this one guy wake up that's integral to these guys surviving that's what I'll do but we'll need to kill him off really quickly again so it's just the two of them it, it, it feels <laughs> it feels poorly constructed it looks great the, the set design's fantastic I just felt that it was empty and one thing that annoyed me oh come on it's not it's not that bad yeah, the one character that really annoyed me was, was Michael Sheen's character the, the barman because he's there so that the characters can speak what they're feeling he's not there to look any other point other than that because they can't show us so they're simply just going to tell us he's also there to give away the uh, the information to Jennifer Lawrence that she's been essentially yeah I mean they could they could have cut out that character and just had him making a video diary or something like that that she could have stumbled yeah, across yeah, yeah. you know it just it, it looked great but I think it was ultimately a hollow empty experience for me right okay so why did you love it <laughs> hey, no, 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 no. Strong words, strong words. I didn't love it. I liked it. Um, there was a... I, I was a bit like you with the stuff when Chris Pratt's on his own. Um, yeah. I didn't think he could carry that, bizarrely. I, I felt, it felt like there were moments where you should really be feeling the pain of isolation from this guy, mm. and I kind of wasn't. He felt a bit mopey, a bit like, Um, But once Jennifer Lawrence wakes up, that for me was when the film got good. Not great, but good. Um, I liked... I liked the moral dilemma of, you know, do do you wake this person up knowing that actually you've essentially kind of destroyed their life? Um, I I thought that was good. You know, there's a a lot of people kind of... Having this moral argument at the moment as to you know would well like you say you know is this you know is it date rape or whatever you know um, I think because he's let it get to the point where they do have sex before he's told her then yeah that's a moral issue um, but the whole idea of him waking her up to begin with that that for me was a, a genuine kind of oh yeah you know w- would you. Could, could you go on longer than a year without actually getting to the point where you're like, sod it, I'm going to have to wake someone up? I thought that was interesting, and I did like the relationship between them. Um, I always think Jennifer Lawrence is, is, is good for a watch. Um, you know, she's obviously easy on the eye, but I, she's a fantastic actress. I think she's able to, to get blood from a stone, and in many ways she does do that here. Um, I do feel for her at times, and I do kind of, I do warm to her character quite a lot, uh, and I feel sad for her at the end when she thinks she's going to lose this guy that she's kind of fallen in love with. You know, it's it's a flawed, flawed love story. It's a flawed film. I think there are certain elements in it that aren't particularly great, um, but I, I think people have been a little bit too hard on it. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I'd give it a Three out of five. Um, 
I, I think um, I, I did it. I, when, when I came out of the cinema, I gave it a three and a half. I just want to confess that. But I, I'm, you know, I, I've thought about it a lot more since then. I, I'd, I'd give it a three. I'd say it's a three star film. Well, I, I gave it two and a half. Right. But uh, the more I think about it, the, the more I, I can see. I've not actually read anything about the moral quandary about it, but. Um... If you check, check out. Um... The the ATZ show, so Art, he, he does a YouTube channel, uh, he did this video all about the, <laughs> the, the feminism angle in, um, in the film. And it's, it's really good, really, really worth checking out. He brings up some interesting points and he brings up some backstory to the making of the film that I had no idea about until, until I'd watched it. Um, there was... <coughs> a, a lot of uh, feminist articles were cheering the decision or the the, the 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 fact that Jennifer Lawrence got paid more than Chris Pratt yeah. for the film. A lot more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so all these feminists were kind of using it as this. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, I I, <laughs> I I would class myself as a feminist. But there are two forms of feminism. There's genuine feminism when you want equality and there's um, religious fanatical feminism where actually you want women in, women on top and men on the bottom. And that's what kind of feminism that was because they're cheering that she's getting a higher pay grade than, uh, than Chris Pratt, even though Chris Pratt has more screen time. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> imagine their shock and horror after seeing the film and actually finding that, yeah, it's, yeah, it's that, you know, um, I'd, I'd imagine that's not quite the victory they were hoping for. Because, <laughs> um, I mean, it's a, it'd be a completely different story if he, if he um, woke up another guy just for companionship. Yeah, yeah. You know, but, I mean, he handpicks, <laughs> he handpicks his target. He's a prime stalker. And, um, See, I think a more interesting way for it to go was that actually, yeah, he does... Um, wake another guy up, and then that guy, over time, maybe becomes a little bit psychotic. Um, maybe and and maybe he makes the decision to wake up some woman, and then it's this kind of this battle between those two guys. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that, that sounds a bit like a Z for Zachariah. Oh right, to that. was that the yeah. one with Chiwetel Ejiofor? I've not yeah, seen that yet, so don't don't tell me anything about that. Cause I do really want to watch that. Um, but then you, you could see you, you you flipped it and you had role reversals. Like she woke up, yeah, you know she woke up first, yeah, uh, and she was stranded for a year, mm. and she woke up Chris Pratt's character because yeah. he was an engineer, yeah, and they were able to use that. I mean, it it, it changes the whole dichotomy of of the storyline, you know. Yeah, is, he is he, he literally wakes her up because she's fit. Yeah. Um, whereas if you changed it to actually that something on the ship is going wrong and he needs... Who's the one person here that can fix it? Yeah. You know, he's going through files, she's the one who can do it, so she, so he does it. Um, yeah, that... Even changing careers, like he's the writer, she's the engineer. Yeah, definitely. You know, he could, you know, she he needs to wake her. Mm. It could it change the whole, the whole plot. It could have made the movie a little bit more rewarding and, and taken this little taint off it that it seems to have... Attached to it. Yeah. So anything else you want to talk about, Brian? Uh, well, 
I did see Deadfall. Um, some somebody was very generous enough to send me a, a copy of Deadfall on Blu-ray, um, and I'm glad they did because I enjoyed it. It was you know it wasn't a perfect film, it wasn't a classic by any stretch, but I like Eric Banner um, and I like Olivia Wilde, who I sometimes confuse for Olga Kurylenko. Um, seriously, on the on the front cover for Deadfall, she looks like Olga Kurylenko. Um, I I know that if you put them side by side, they probably wouldn't look anything like each other, but. For me personally, Olga Kurylenko is the slightly better actress, although she's not had quite the career that she should have had, I think, given the promise she showed earlier on. Uh, but I'm you know, still holding out, still holding out. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a good old Olga fan, but I do like Olivia Wilde as well. Um, and, yeah, this is a good film. It's, it's kind of like a... Thank, it's, all, it's all about Thanksgiving in a way, and you get this these twisted family dynamics helped out by the fact that this psychopath kind of gets brought into it. And by the end of the film, they're all having this Thanksgiving dinner, but it's a really kind of warped one because people are being held at gunpoint. And, yeah, it's 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 interesting. I, I think it's not always written particularly well. I think some of the elements feel a bit forced in there, and I think Olivia Wilde is, is clearly made to wear skimpy outfits and... At times, nothing at all, just because, hey, it's Olivia Wilde and she's fit and we can we can get her to go nude. So, yeah, that, that element feels a little bit kind of childish to me. But beyond that, it's a pretty decent, pretty decent, it's a pretty decent thriller. Um, yeah, kind of low key. But, yeah, worth checking out. I give it a three and a half out of five. One, last one for me. Um, one that I saw was Oliver Stone's Snowden. Mm. movie. Um, now I knew some small tidbits about it I'd seen the Citizen Four documentary and you know I was curious enough to go and see it, it was the week before Star Wars came out so there was pretty much nothing else out in the cinema and I had a great time with Snowden, I thought it was really captivating a really interesting oh. story Okay. and and the fact that it, it recreated some of the scenes from the Citizen Four documentary is a really nice touch and the movie's about two hours but it's zipped by and it was you know, really interesting to see some of the things that were reportedly going on and the amount of time this guy was dealing with it. Um, I don't know if you know much of the story, Brian. I don't, to be honest. It's it's terrifying, actually, when you, when you realise what the, the government were kind of watching. Right. Um, which is pretty much everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I won't go into it in case you actually watch it, but I thought Joseph Gordon-Lovett was as watchable as he ever is and... Uh, yeah, re- really good movie. In fact, I'd go back and watch it again. Uh, well, yeah, so I I have an aversion to Oliver Stone movies, it must be said. Um, right. There aren't that many of his films that I've seen where I've liked. Uh, I, I don't know what it is about him, but I feel like he's a bit of a sensationalist. I feel like he over his points a little bit, maybe twists mm-hmm. the truth a little bit too much. Um, kind of, he likes to paint lies as truth, uh, and and then bang on that, bang on about it for well forever that it is the truth. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just you know, people who talk about certain movies of his that are classics, 
and I, I go and watch them and I, I don't really feel the same way. Natural Born Killers, I, I could never get on board with, didn't like mm. it. Um, JFK, I found, again, a little bit overrated. Uh, did he did he do Platoon? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't like Platoon. Um, <laughs> I thought World <laughs> World Trade Trade Center was awful. Um, yeah, yeah. Like I said, not not a big Oliver Stone fan. It must be said. Now he did write the script to the remake of Scarface, which mm-hmm. I thought was absolutely fantastic. I thought, I thought, I thought that Scarface was really good. But that's more down to Brian De Palma and Al Pacino than it is yeah. Oliver Stone. Yeah, I wouldn't say. I got my way to watch all of our film movies. Some I like, some I don't. I just found this was an interesting story. Right. And that's the main part. And it's not, there's not too many directorial flourishes. He's kind of low-key and just lets the story sell itself. Okay. Anything else you want to finish off with, Brian? Uh, well, I think I'll leave it there. I mean, I saw, I, I watched Secret in Their Eyes, the, re- the remake, um... Recently, I won't say too much about it, other than I enjoyed it. Um, got I, I don't think it got particularly fair critical reviews when it came out. I think Julie Roberts gives a an absolutely fantastic performance in it. I know I've I've been on record as saying I'm not the biggest Julie Roberts fan, but when I actually sit down and watch her in a film, I do kind of understand why people think she's a good actress. Um, there's a reaction she gives. To a particular, some something that happens in the film. I, I mean, I went into this blind. I didn't know anything about it, which is probably probably why I liked it so much. I hadn't seen the original, uh, so I don't want to give anything away. I think if you've not seen this and you don't know about it, keep it keep it that way, um, and I think you'll be rewarded from it. Uh, but yeah, there's a particular moment that happens to her character, and the the emotional reaction she has to give for that. I think is fantastic. I think she really sells it. Um, Chiwetel Ejiofor as well, one of my favourite actors. I think he's really good in this film. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's basically just about cops trying to solve this case, this murder case, and, yeah, it leads to some pretty twisted places. But I liked it. I'd give it a three and a half out of five. Yeah, I've not, uh, not seen that one. I want you to check it out, put it on my watch list. Um, so I suppose we'll move on to our next episode. Okay. Now, one of my most anticipated movies of 2017 is Spotting 2. <laughs> Not least because I'm Scottish and it made a big impact on me when it came out in 1996. Mm. And any excuse to rewatch the first one, I will gladly take it with both hands. So, uh, for my movie for next month, which will be Train Spotting. Now, it's probably going to be after the movie, the second one comes out, but. You know what I, I think is worth talking about, and as for a top five, I thought I'd go for the the really hard choice of picking the top five Danny Boyle films. Oh, okay. I've Which, already made my list. <laughs> I was I was I was actually going to make a top ten Danny Boyle uh, movies video on my channel uh, right? a, li- a little while back, so I prepared my list. So it's already done. I already know it. Well. Somebody's uh, well prepared. There you um, go. I have no idea, but I know that the man has a fantastic filmography. He does. Um, don't know about yourself if you're looking forward to Transporting Two, if you've already seen the first one or that, but you know, it's it's something I'm looking forward to talking about. 
Yeah, it's been a long, long time since I saw Train Spotting. Um, I don't actually own a copy of it, so I'm gonna have to find that. Um, but yeah, it's it's def definitely a it's a hard hitter. Um, from what I remember, I I'm not looking forward to seeing a particular scene involving a baby. Um, I remember yeah. that freaking me out considerably when I first watched it. So, <laughs> yeah. So that's that's what next episode. As always, our social media links are in the notes below, along with time tracks. And as always, you can find us on Brian Lomax Movie Talk, the YouTube channel, and Man vs. Film. Pop along, uh, watch a video, hit us with a comment and a like, we'd really appreciate it. And we will see you next month on Brits on Flicks. Um, as always, uh, as always, what? <laughs> Complete brain fart. <laughs> I think. Can I do? I'll do. I'll do pig. I'll do pig, yeah. <laughs> do you dig?
Papa never worked a day in his life. And Mama, when Van talked going around town, said that Papa had three outside children and another wife. And that ain't right. Heard him talk about Papa doing some stuff for preaching. Talking about saving souls and all the time leeching. Papa never was much on pain. 